A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. As you heard from Monsignor and Archbishop, we're here celebrating not only the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, but also we're celebrating the Little Sisters of the Poor and their mission here, which began on East Vermont Street in 1873. So it's 150 years, and you might ask, why would the Archbishop honor me, my good friend the Archbishop, honor me with the opportunity to preach at this august occasion on this wonderful feast? And the only reason I could think of is that I was born a lot closer to 1873 than he is. <laughs> you know, let me uh, speak to you about the wide context of our faith and then the smaller, more local context that we're celebrating this this evening. It's important for us 
when we celebrate these kinds of solemnities and feasts that we know uh, when and where we are. You know, most people can tell you where they are. Do you know when you are? And when we gather in church and when we gather to pray, the when is inside the arc of what we call salvation history. And that history starts from eternity, but for us starts with the creation of the world, creation of Adam and Eve, um, and continues until the fiat where Mary conceives, and so on. And we're part of this in a continuing way. So the when is salvation history, and we're in it. And our scriptures elucidate some of that for us this evening. Also, um, we're in the season of Advent, and so we advert to that where um, we celebrate a season where we're concentrating more on how the light shines in the darkness. And in the world today, the darkness is a little overwhelming and is pronounced in the news. And so this evening at sunset, we begin Hanukkah. Hanukkah is also a series of eight days where we're praying for light to come into the darkness. And so for Jewish people, they light that menorah, a different candle, a new candle each day. So these are seasons that are running in tandem right now. Light trying to overcome the darkness. And of course, we have a lot to say about whether that darkness lifts at all. We have to turn to the light, sometimes beg for it, sometimes simply open our eyes. And so Advent is a wonderful season for that reason, but we're praying with our Jewish brothers and sisters in this different tradition in their very hard times for them. Um, The solemnity is about salvation history. When I was in college, I learned that the word for this in German is Heilsgeschichte. We only had to learn one word of German when I was in college, and that was it, that we are centered in Christ, that we are part of this salvation history, as is the dogma of the Immaculate Conception proclaimed in 1854, proclaimed in part because of the piety of people, because of the belief of the church, but it's an important dogma also because it is protective of the central truth that Jesus is true God and true man. Every Marian feast, every Marian devotion is centered in her son. And these particular feasts, the Immaculate Conception, have a lot to do with the humanity of Christ, that he is true God and true man. So that's an important thing to remember. It is appropriate that the mother of our Lord would be born without sin. You know, this is another lesson. I once got into an argument with a woman. She swore the stained glass windows in her church in Chicago said that Jesus was the Immaculate Conception. I said, no, that can't be right. You're wrong. Mary is the Immaculate Conception. She was conceived without sin. And again, the church teaches and believes this because it's appropriate that God, in sending his son into the world, should choose a magnificent vessel for this, someone who, with their heart and will, would be willing to be part of this salvation history as she could see it. And I know that people sometimes struggle with some of these dogmas and some of these religious beliefs that we have. Um, you know, how can you understand something you can't know or experience or see or witness? And all I can say is from everything we know from modern day physicists and cosmologists, 
we only can perceive 5% of the material universe. You've heard of a thing called dark matter, supposedly all around us and all through us, and we're trying to figure out, so that means what we see is only a part of the atomic reality that we're in the middle of. But that's too far afield from the Blessed Mother. She'd hear that and she'd say, what? (laughs) So I'll move on from that. In our narrower context here this evening, we honor the little sisters who are here participating with us, but they are helping us participate through their ministry, their apostolates, uh, helping us to participate in salvation history. Okay. Um, I know some of the sisters already know this, but when I was in the seminary, we each had to pick up an apostolate to be part of. So I was in Italy, and my apostolate for a semester was visiting the old people in a, a home built by the Little Sisters of the Poor. And a big part of their building was brand new. And I found out that the head sister there was the architect of that building. She had plenty of talents. And so I was impressed by Little Sisters immediately. And of course, where I came from, we We have Little Sisters Ministries in Illinois, too. But they're helping us to participate in salvation history. And they exemplify the type of participation and the tenor of it through the values associated with their ministry. Reverence, a family spirit, humble service, compassion, and stewardship. It is the stewardship part, I think, that brings us together here this evening in large measure for those of us who are going to be uh, celebrating a little later. Stewardship is a recognition that life and all other goods are gifts from God and should therefore be used responsibly for the good of all. Trust in God's providence and generosity of others to provide for our needs. I like this one. Stewardship is also just compensation for our collaborators which is a pressure and hard to do, but people are deserving for the work that they do for us and with us and for the people that they're serving. And and finally, the mark of stewardship is a spirit of gratitude and sharing. Oh, I didn't have to make that up. It was on the website. So that's exactly the sister's words. But let's let's come back to this salvation history part Um, because those values and their ministry all point from the glory of God and back to the glory of God. And so we hear that line in our second reading from Ephesians this evening, that we might exist for the praise of God's glory. You know, again, I ask the question, when are we, where are we? You know, are we on a clock that we wear on a wrist or are we on an arc of time between the creation of the world and our destiny? That second reading points us in that direction. We are chosen, adopted, and destined. In other words, the arc of our life and existence extends from the mind of God into eternity. So we are destined in accord with the purpose of God. So if you get home this evening or maybe tomorrow, somebody will say, well, where were you last evening? I would say, I was in the arc of salvation history that goes from the beginning of the world to the end of time. And I was there honoring the Blessed Mother's part in this and also honoring people who are showing us how to give glory to God 
and maybe some of the, the reflected holiness of their ministry can encourage us to further participate in God's kingdom and exemplify some of those same values in our life. We are going here this evening from strength to strength, from light to light, and we should all be so pleased that we can be here this evening um, in a great time because it is God's time. Bishop Doherty read that homily just the way I wrote it for him. <laughs> I just don't understand why I don't read them as well. But uh, Bishop Doherty, thank you for your wonderful words. It is in faith that we embrace this dogma, this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. It is in faith that we understand beyond what we can see and fully comprehend that we where and when we are in this arc of salvation history. It is that faith we now profess together.